bring you a very special episode. Um, I am going to be chatting to Brie, um, Sabrina Purse, who we met at the CPHVA conference um, this year, about her experiences as an adoptive parent and the health visitor role in, in that experience. And this is just, I think, one of the most important um, personal experience I've heard um, and I'm I'm really excited to, to offer you all the opportunity to learn um, from her experience the way I did. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to go straight into the interview with Brie um, and I hope you all enjoy it. It is a really emotional journey that we're listening to, but I think it's really important that we do hear um, Brie's experience and that we can bring a little bit of of this understanding into our daily practice when we're working with adoptive families. So lots to learn. So let's go straight into meeting Brie. Hello, it's Amy here and I am here with the lovely Sabrina. Hi Brie, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, um, so I'm Sabrina Purse and we met at the CEPHVA conference when I did my speech on um, understanding adoptive (laughs) families and the role of the health visitor so I'm here to chat a bit more about that. Yeah it was such a great um, talk and I really felt that um, we needed to have you on the podcast because I think every health visitor needs to listen to you speak about the importance of the of working with adoptive families and the things we need to know really. Um, It was an eye-opener for me so um, I'm sure there'll be loads of people listening it'll be really really helpful to hear your perspective so thanks so much for joining us thank you for having me <laughs> um so you're also a nursery nurse aren't you working in a, a health visiting team yes okay so did that come before or after you were planning to adopt or so it came after oh okay uh, we, yeah we adopted five years ago and okay. I've been the health visiting team for two years so oh lovely Okay, great. So you really came to that new team with a kind of wealth of experience, didn't you? Yeah, really. It's been all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I gathered from what we talked about earlier that it was your personal experience in the first place that led you to want to kind of get involved with the CPHVA conference and share that more widely. Yeah, so what spurred me on was my personal experience and that's what drove me to investigate it more and and do a piece of work on it I wrote an article that got published in the Journal of Health Visiting Mm. and um, felt that it needed to go a bit further and colleagues said you know more people need to hear what you have to say so Mm. entered for the CPHVA conference and it's gone from there. Fantastic and of course we'll link to um, your article in the Journal of Health Visiting as well from the show notes so if anybody wants to go away and read that for themselves they can do it's a really good article. Um, would you mind I mean um, would you mind sharing with us a little bit of that that personal experience and what the adoption journey was like because I think for me as a health visitor I didn't really understand what the adoption process is like and how that feels to go through that as a prospective parent so um would you mind sharing some of that with us yeah um so we adopted five years ago it was in 2012 that we first made inquiries into Mm. what we needed to do we got in contact with the local council and we went through the first stage so 
to become an adoptive parent, there's two different stages, the first stage and then the second stage. The first stage is more finding out if it's what you want to do. You have a few um, visits from social workers. And then if you want to go forwards with it, you get screened. So um, you get a criminal record check. You have to have a full medical by the GP, okay. written personal references. And that's from um, work, if you're at work friends family and you also have to attend for a four-day uh, preparation course um, and while this is all going on you also have to complete what's called a prospective adopters report and that's quite a big chunk of work and, and a lot of questions that you have to answer and it's it goes into quite detail of what your childhood was like what your relationships are like what your support network's like and while that's all going on you have social workers that come and visit you weekly or fortnightly blimey uh, yeah so that's the first stage so i was really that's just the first stage i was really surprised by how um often social workers are visiting you in that in that time because the prospective adopters report is so big they visit and they help you to pick apart what you're going to say in each section they need to know certain things as well okay. they meet with you as a couple and they also meet with you separately uh -huh. so you an interview with them separately and then you write a bit of your prospective adopters report so you might write like my childhood so I would write a section on what my childhood was like from my point of view Gosh. and then you would send that to your social worker who would read it and say whether or not it was okay if you needed to expand more and then they'd ping it back and say that's fine and then you'd move on to the next section so okay. it's really really intensive yeah yeah sounds it and I mean I'm just trying to imagine what I would write in a section on my childhood that must have been so <laughs> yeah. challenging to even think about what to include yeah so that must have been quite intimidating and I guess this whole thing is quite um it's quite an intrusive thing to have to share all of your past yeah. and your yeah. personal stuff yeah and it gets you thinking as a couple as well because there's a few things that you probably wouldn't have talked about as a couple you don't okay. tend to go to that sort of detail mm -hmm. um, but yeah yeah it's really you do feel massively under the spotlight yeah for that, for that part okay so that's just stage one you said stage one so then <laughs> stage two is more in depth so the if your social worker is only visiting you fortnightly then it ups to weekly okay and then um you talk more about your relationships in particular your support network so who's going to be there if you need childcare? who's you have to answer the question who would have this child if you died Gosh. like it's, it's really really intensive managing your expectations they go into a little bit and then your social worker also visits the referees so you put down referees that would vouch that you are you know an okay person to parent <laughs> and then <laughs> The social worker will go and interview them to clarify and to ask them any questions. So friends of ours got interviewed and our family did as well. So family that were going to be quite close to the child got a visit from the social worker. OK, so really kind of checking out every aspect of your life, isn't it? So yeah. I can see why you said, you know, you feel under the spotlight. Yeah. There. And how long did that process take? They aimed to get it done within six months. And I think that we... We did get to panel. We, I think we made our first inquiries in April because I remember we went to our our four day preparation course in May because it was two over two weekends mm. and it was the most 
beautiful weather we had. That was our summer in the May. And we missed it because we were <laughs> from nine till six. And yeah, we saw glimmers of it at lunchtime. So we went in May. We ended up going to panel in the November. So the um, approval panel was in November. Uh, initially, our panel was booked for the February or the March. But because we'd finished our prospective adopters report and there'd been a cancellation in the November, we got onto the earlier panel because they're only on set right. days. So you just get slotted in wherever there's a space, really. Right, okay. And I remember you talking a little bit about the panel at the, the conference. So for people, because yeah. I imagine most people don't really know what that involves yeah. either. Yeah, so when you finally finish your prospective adopters report, that gets sent in. So anyone that sits on panels, the panel's made up from adopters, adoptees, uh, there's the community paediatrician, there's social workers, and they get that prospective adopters report, so they've read that beforehand. Mm-hmm. You also have to make a, like a photo album of your family um, for who's in your family, who the child would have direct contact with, and what okay. your lifestyle's like. So I remember we put in, we're quite an active family, so we put in pictures of us out cycling and out walking. That goes to panel as well, and they've they've had a look at all of this before you go. The reason you go is to be approved, basically. So it's that day is described to us by the social workers as the positive pregnancy test. So that's when you okay. know that you're going to become parents, because either way, you've been approved. Gosh, it is. Yeah, it was a huge day. It's a huge day. It was at County Hall. You go down the back and it's cold and it's dark and it's you get sat in this dingy room with tea and coffee. And then you get taken into the room and there's I think it's 15 people Mm. that all sat around this big table and you go and sit down. And then they ask you questions that they might have from reading your report so they might want you to expand on areas if you're they look at your medical so um, they might ask you if you're overweight what you're going to do about your lifestyle goodness me really really grill you on yeah how you're going to provide for this child it it is really it's the worst memory I have gosh is, is that panel going to panel um, and then you come out and you go back into the room and then you have to wait to find out whether or not they've approved you. And then your social worker will come in and say, oh, they've reached a decision. And then you go back in and they tell you wh- how it's gone and if you've been approved or not. So we... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so you, you get... We obviously got approved and mm. and you come out and it's very surreal. Mm. And then you just carry on carry on your day so my husband Mm. went back to work and I think I met a friend for coffee but it doesn't really feel real no sure I mean it's strange to think of that in the context of the positive pregnancy test isn't it like um such a kind of grueling grueling experience for you and and you described it as being a terrible kind of experience yeah um it's, it's such a huge amount of emotions I should imagine floating around yeah and you just want them to like you and and to you just think if they just say no and they don't approve us what what are we going to do because yeah. this is this is our option this is what what we're doing so 
yeah so it's a huge amount of pressure on that on that day yeah it does feel really stressful getting up to that point you're constantly on on the go next thing next thing next thing to get there panel you know I always say to people when you go through the adoption process there's always another goalpost. approval panel was a goalpost. we got there we got yeah. approved and then it was the next goalpost was set so you okay going so that's like they're constantly kind of moving the goalposts and panel is yeah. like that last yeah. kind of you yeah you want to reach the end point but there's just mm. I guess goalposts or hurdles, hurdles okay. to get, over, yeah, to, get sure. to what you want want to get to yeah sure okay so then after the um approval panel so you're approved now you've had your positive yep. pregnancy test yeah <laughs> um so what's the next stage from there so then you just wait okay um you your social worker is responsible for matching you to a child so okay. they will have our prospective adopters report and social workers there's the social working workers that look after the prospective adopters and then there's the social workers that look after the children that are looking for placements okay and they'll have access to each other's reports so someone may be looking for parents for a child and they'll read our prospective report and think that that could be a match and then they'll speak to our social worker and Mm. then our social worker will send us through a child's report Mm. so we got two previous matches before we went with our final one so they our social worker would pop the report through the door or either email it to us say have a look let me know what you think before this point you've already said what you're willing to accept and what you wouldn't necessarily want to have from a Mm -hmm. child Mm -hmm. so you basically just go through a tick list and and yeah the social worker says you just need to be brutal and don't think about it I'm going to ask you and just say yes or no so we knew there was a few conditions that we wouldn't be able to take a child on we my husband's got two birth children okay they were quite young at the time so we knew we wouldn't be able to take a child on that had extreme special needs because it wouldn't fit into our family lifestyle we needed a child that would be that would fit in and be able to be equally as active as we were yeah so they already knew what we would accept and what we wouldn't accept. And that sounds really challenging in itself, that experience of doing yeah. that. How yeah. did that feel, doing that really, kind of really tick bad. list? Tick, yeah, really bad. I found it quite difficult. My husband found it a lot easier because he doesn't... I've worked with children with special needs. Yeah. So I know that if you said you cerebral palsy, you could have a child that was functioning quite normally yeah. or a child that was wheelchair in a wheelchair and, and couldn't yeah such a vast spectrum. spectrum so when you say that I would be like oh well, well if xyz and my husband would be like no and the social worker said well you you can't skim it down to xyz it's either a yes or a no Gosh. so I found that hard really so hard. you were kind of always looking for the shades of grey in the questions and it's and yeah. it's actually a yes or a no it's, it's very black and white kind of interpretation exactly. yeah yeah and because we had two boys already our social worker was quite keen for us to go for a girl and I'd categorically said I don't really mind what gender is I'm happy either way Mm. so yes it's I find the whole picking I found the whole picking thing quite hard Mm. 
I found it easier when you got the report through from the children. So the two that we had previously, you just know when you're reading the report whether or not this child's going to fit with you mm. in a way that are they going to fit into our lifestyle and actually are we going to be able to meet this child's needs and improve their life mm. because this is their second chance and they deserve to have like 100% from whoever yeah, takes them. Absolutely. So it's a two-way street. So with our when we got the reports through, we would go out so we went in the house go out for a meal or a coffee and we would just sit there and it sounds really hard but just do pros and cons of each child like you know, what pros of having them what would be the cons of having them because it is a big a big thing yeah of course it's a huge we, thing yeah really big yeah but when we saw our son's report we knew straight away mm. as soon as we, we saw it so we there's always a picture on the front of the child and as soon as we saw him we, we were like yeah this, this is this is our child this is okay. this is what's you know it's meant to happen so I think when people say to you hold out you know read the reports you will know when it happens you do know I think you do there's mm. just a, a click and his social worker had almost chased us down. You know, they really wanted us to be matched with him. So, mm. yeah, we we went for for him. Mm. That's odd, though. <laughs> you've seen a yes. of him, and you've decided that that's that's your child. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Still haven't met met him. So yeah. A very very strange experience I should imagine yeah. all round and like the the experience of having to do a pros and cons list and having to yeah. think about it in that very kind of um I don't know what the right word is but a very like formal almost way of thinking about it yeah trying is... not to be too emotional about it and yeah so there's an emotional roller coaster so far I mean I haven't met the child yet <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so then you have to go to a matching panel so it's another panel another panel uh, by another this time panel. I bet you're loving panels you're like <laughs> bring on another panel can't you wait know. for that <laughs> oh dear uh, yeah, yes again at county hall uh, this time you get to go upstairs it wasn't downstairs this time. <laughs> <laughs> going up in the world quite literally going up in the world yeah uh, there's some of the faces were familiar, so one some had been on our approval panel. Again, it's uh, they sit round and they decide whether or not this match would be viable, whether or not we should proceed. So they again look at our report and they look at the child's report, look at how the outcomes of this child would be met by a yeah. We got a, a unanimous yes at that panel. The match was was you know agreed fantastic so still not met your child and just that's another hurdle yeah that you've got over just a really strange feeling because you can't you still can't get excited and you still can't really plan so through right. the whole of this you know that you're going to have a child at some point but you don't know what age the child's going to be you don't know what sort of things you need to buy other parents you know you take the pregnancy test and then you know it's going to happen yeah and at some point down the line you start planning you know you get the room ready you yeah buy things here and there but you can't yeah. do any of that you, it's a very strange place to be so we got matched and then we again just went home and you'd have to wait for the social workers to let you know what the, 
what the next step was. So the next step was, it wasn't a panel, but it was an introductions meeting where you sit down with social workers and foster carers and you decide what in the introduction schedule is going to be. Okay. So how how quickly the child's going to be transferred over to you, basically. So our introduction schedule was to go over 10 days. So they okay. look at the child, the age of the child, how settled they are in the placement, what their routine is like and how that's going to be how long that's going to take to transfer mm-hmm. over the child to a new home. So 10, d- 10 days we, was agreed. Okay. And then from that meeting, then you get to go and meet them. Which must just be <laughs> such a, a wonderful yeah. moment, you know. Really. It was amazing. Yeah. It, it was. You're just so full of emotion and mm. You still can't believe it. It still feels so surreal. Mm. Just looking down at this baby and thinking, that's my baby. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so introductions. It's building up the time with the child. So we only spent, I think we only spent like half an hour, an hour with him for the first day. Yeah. And then the second day, it was a couple of hours. Mainly at the foster carers for the first week, we would turn up for certain areas of his care. So we'd have to get there early in the morning so that we could get him up in the morning and mm-hmm. give him his morning bottle mm-hmm. or be there at the end of the day to put him to bed and how old was he when you adopted him he was nine months when we met him 10 months when he came home to Gosh, us yeah so, okay so we're still baby yeah and yeah so we did introductions over 10 days and then on the 10th day we picked him up and put him in his car seat and drove home with him and it's wow. just such a really bizarre feeling I remember Mm. just feeling so overwhelmed and it just hit me like a whoosh Mm. and I just cried all the way home Mm. it was a good hour and a half drive and it was just because like I said with the goalposts and the hurdles you're always Mm. focusing on something next what have we got to do next where Mm. are we going next and then you get the child there's nothing else to focus on and Mm. it hits you that this has happened this is this is it yeah yeah and it I mean it sounds absolutely overwhelming Um, yeah you know we we talk about um transition to parenting don't we a bit in uh in health visiting and I guess it's yeah it's quite the transition that isn't it the transition Um, yeah you know from going from from what you said not being able to really pin your hopes on anything and not being able to plan or prepare for having baby because you don't know exactly what you're preparing for or when that might happen no no and then or and then suddenly in the space of 10 days you're meeting your child and and taking them home yeah so it was in the July that we got given his his report and we read it and Mm. it was in the August he was placed so as well you've got work so I had to go to work and say um, I need to go on adoption leave like in two weeks time wow. and it's sorting out all the adoption leave payments and yeah it's just yeah everything happens very very quickly and so yeah, after all that waiting it. yeah you can't prepare for it sorry interrupted you that's fine <laughs> um after all that waiting you're kind of suddenly then in this whirlwind of it's happening and it's happening now yeah um and 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 that uh, I guess that would be a nine month period wouldn't it or a 10 month yeah. period you know yeah. in a pregnancy um 
so yeah quite quite the shock I imagine when you first get them home yeah a big shock Mm. a big change and when you've when you do all your preparation courses and things they talk about funneling so funneling is where the only the main carers provide the basic care for the child okay in order to build an attachment encourage those yeah encourage those attachments Mm. so in those first few weeks you don't have much contact with your support network okay you don't want too many people around you don't want people around for long periods of time and even when people did come around it would be too overwhelming for him so a lot of visits a lot of um introductions to the family happened in the park down the road from us because it was easier for us to say you really can't come over because we're doing this funneling but we're going to pop park in an hour so if you're around then yeah you, know, you can come and say hello okay because yeah it was just yeah they they encourage you to do it just to encourage those attachments in the early yeah. stages which I can certainly see you know in terms of attachment theory I can see why yeah I can see where that where that comes from yeah um but yeah must be really challenging for you as a new parent when you've just we've talked about how overwhelming this must be and yeah. that would be the time normally when a new parent would be calling on all of those extra sources of support wouldn't exactly. it exactly yeah um, but you, and you've got grandparents as well that want yeah. to come and flow of course but it doesn't go the way that they want it to go so yeah my parents came round. I think it was in the second week and he cried oh. the entire <laughs> the time I think and just wanted to be with us and yeah it's just it's difficult because they just want to have a cuddle but Mm, of course they do it's overwhelming for him as well not just us yeah yeah absolutely for all of you yeah yeah um and you know challenging for grandparents who I suppose perhaps weren't expecting this kind of very structured approach to introductions yeah Yeah. um, when you first start down this journey um so yeah, difficult, difficult really for everybody. And then, mm. so what's the kind of professional involvement after um, the adoption goes through when you take him home? Like, so, what, is there any more processes after that? I'm looking for, I'm looking for more hurdles. You know, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> so the last hurdle is the adoption order. Uh-huh. So that's when they legally become yours and they take on your surname. So until that point, they're they're still under their birth name. Okay. You, the child has to live with you for at least 10 weeks before okay. you can file for that adoption order. Okay. Is that and in then, case you've, you change your mind? Or in I case the adoption doesn't go, go through work? Or? Yeah, sure. So most social workers have it all ready to go. As soon as 10 weeks is done, they file it straight yeah, away. Yeah, okay. It's just, it is just a tick box and usually they say, you know, it's, it's nothing to worry yeah, about. Yeah, sure. Ours actually took a year. To go through. Oh my goodness! So he didn't officially become a member of our family until so he's placed with us in the August, and we didn't have our celebration hearing until the following August. So it took a year. Wow. As, yeah, stuff goes on. You know, you know, lack of communication, things not being filed correctly. They like to notify birth family that the adoption order is going through. Okay. And they couldn't get hold of one of them for some reason or other. So they were trying to get hold of them. So that held it up. So in that whole time, 
uh, yeah, your child isn't still isn't legally yours. Mm. So it's living with you under a, a placement order, but isn't actually you haven't actually legally adopted until that adoption order goes through. Okay. So yeah, okay. So that's I mean a really long drawn out process again, isn't it really? Yeah. So I mean, when I was listening to this at, at conference, I remember just thinking although I knew obviously I knew that there was lots of boxes to go through to adopt never having looked into it myself and I think health visitors aren't particularly involved in the process generally um you don't really have much of an insight into what that actually involves and how that might be experienced for adoptive parents yeah so I guess for you, it was it was wanting to get that message out. Was that because of a, a kind of not so great experience you'd had with Health Visitor? Yeah. So I I don't didn't feel particularly supported by my Health Visitor at the time. Mm. So I moved when I moved into the Health Visiting Service. Mm. It was then that I was looking around and thinking, it's not because they they're just not bothered it's because you don't know right yeah it's not because they don't care no it's because they don't know that it's an issue for you you can't do anything about something Mm. if you don't know Mm. so it's yeah raising that awareness so when he was placed with us everything was quite lovely and they always say that you have this honeymoon period when it when you're first placed and it did feel exactly like that Mm. and the first month I think when quite smoothly social workers will visit fortnightly for the first month I think it is and then and then they back off and you want them to back off because they're so consistent throughout and they've just been this constant presence that actually you don't want to see them no (laughs) to go away yes yeah get on with your with your family now so they backed off and you know we knew where they were if we needed them and our social worker was very good she was always at the end of the phone or um, you could email her and she would reply straight away but then my husband he went back to work and I was left at home with the baby and Mm. I found that very difficult Mm. because I am quite a sociable person and I was working on a paediatric ward at the time. So it used to very busy, long shifts surrounded mm. by lots of people, lots mm. of hustle. So, so being at home alone, I found quite difficult. Yeah. I yeah. found it really difficult to get out to groups. So Health Vista came out because of, obviously the Health Visitors get um, alerted to when a child's being placed for adoption because you have the looked after children with you. Yeah. Our yeah. Health Visitor had been out and she had said, you know, get out and go to groups and meet other mums, mm-hmm. which I tried to do, but it's a feeling amongst most adopters that you you feel like an outsider. You don't feel like you belong. Okay. Take you. It takes you a while to start to feel like a a mum because you don't feel like you are because you haven't had that birth experience you don't know how to answer questions at groups so I got asked if I was breastfeeding and that completely freaked me out when I left they're not to know but you you carry your own baggage about that and you, you yeah you just feel like you you don't belong so I found groups very hard to go to 
we live in a quite a rural area so there are adoption support groups and there are adoption toddler groups okay but the bigger city so I would yeah. have to drive for about two hours to get to one. Oh gosh which yeah with the one-year-old, you're not going to travel for no, you know, of course half not. two hours to get to a, to a group. So I became quite isolated and thought, well, fine, just be the two of us, we can we can cope. But I couldn't, and okay. I became quite ritualistic with our routine. We would go out in the morning to go for a walk. So we had a dog, so you'd have to take the dog for a walk. And then we'd go out in the afternoon to nip down the road to go to the park just to break up the day. Yeah. And then I also started cleaning the house again to break up the day. So when he was napping, I would be cleaning. It That became obsessive. So my anxiety and my fears were that he would be taken away. Mm. So following on from the funneling that I did at the start, I pushed people away because... I didn't feel that anybody else could look after him the way that I looked after him. So I didn't want anybody else to touch him, didn't want anybody else to really be near him. It was it was really difficult. I didn't realise that I was doing it at the time, but I didn't want anything to, I didn't want anything to happen to him because my mm. complete fear wasn't that it wasn't that I hadn't attached to him and that I didn't love him. It was the complete opposite. I just absolutely adored him and mm. loved him and wanted him and didn't want anything to happen that would stop that so yeah. I didn't want anybody to think that I wasn't coping so I presented as best I could so clean home his needs being met mm. that was the main goal but yeah the, the cleaning became obsessive that was my outlet and I became more and more isolated and I didn't know why I felt like that and why I wasn't happy because that's what we worked so hard for. We'd gone yeah. through those goalposts, jumped yeah. all of those hurdles to get what we wanted. So why wasn't I happy? And it was it took a while to ask for help because I didn't feel like there was anything wrong. Sure. And, um, I remember I emailed my social worker she hadn't been out for a while and I just emailed her and said I'm crying all the time and I don't know why I'm crying all the time I feel completely overwhelmed and if I'm not crying I'm exhausted but I can't sleep I just don't know what's what's wrong with me so she was she was really good she said I'll come out and see you tomorrow she came out the next day and we we had a chat and She's, but she said, this is how everybody feels. You've become a parent. It's been this big transition to parenthood. Mm. Of course, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Of course, you're going to feel upset. You really do need to start getting yourself out more, though, and get yourself socialising with other parents. It was really good advice mm. to get me out, but it validated that there wasn't anything wrong with me. That I yeah. should. So I tried to pull my socks up. And, you know, you know, everybody feels like this. this. This is obviously what it feels like to become a parent. Oh, so, so you know, social workers, they're there to be supportive, and they're there. But I'm not sure that they're in the position to be doing that maternal mental health assessment. assessment yeah. That I just had. Yeah, exactly. And 
there was, you know, obviously a breakdown in communication between the social worker and the health visitor because, you know, maybe yeah, the social that could have been shared with them yeah. to the health visitor and said, actually, she's really struggling. Can you can you go out and see her? At the lack reviews, nothing really got said because his needs were being met and he was oh. setting beautifully. It was like he'd always been with us. He was thriving meeting all of his milestones so there wasn't from the outside looking in for a professional who wouldn't necessarily ask those questions yeah everything's fine yeah um yeah and like you say you're obviously you're scared of having been through all of this process with all of these tick boxes and everybody scrutinizing every element of your life I can imagine it becomes even harder to say actually I'm not feeling great. This isn't yeah. going as well as I yeah. was hoping it would. This isn't what I imagined. Yeah. That's a hard thing to say. If a really hard thing to say. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And you feel grateful for the fact that you've been given a child. And for us as well, we our child was as close to a relinquished baby as you could get. And... Mm is kind of referred to in the adoption community as the holy grail of mm. you know children because yes he's gonna he's got trauma from you know not forming those attachments early in life but he doesn't have the kind of trauma and baggage that other children would come with so yeah. if, for us it was you know this big pressure that mm. We had to had to make it work, and of course I wanted to make it work. It wasn't a case of you know this isn't working and we're not bonding or attaching. It was no, no, it was no, opposite. Yeah, uh, my anxiety was around him being removed and yeah. it working. So me not asking for help was because of that fear. Yeah. Eventually, when I went for help, it was in the January. I remember we'd been on holiday after Christmas and it had been a really bad week away. Not f- for my husband because because he was working. That week that we went away, they had a lovely time because it was all about daddy and it was very novel that daddy was around. So mm. um, they had a lovely time, but quite often... As That's hard children, for you, yeah. Yeah, they're aren't they? And... and from a logical point of view you can look at that and think it's fine because he's bonding with daddy so he doesn't need me but when you're low and you're anxious and you're depressed that just makes you feel even more rubbish so we came back from that and um yeah I I think that was when I reached crisis point really and and felt that because I loved him so much and I didn't want him to be removed and put back into foster care that actually I should remove myself from the situation and not be there Mm. and that's where my husband said you know we really need to ask someone for help because this this isn't you and Mm. you know we need to ask for help so I plucked up the courage to go to the GP and he didn't know what to do with me because (laughs) (laughs) obviously postnatal depression because I haven't given birth. Oh. Uh, kind of qu- queried whether I wanted to try antidepressants, and I really was against that option as a f- front, you know, first line. I wanted to try something else, see if there's anything else around. He then suggested maybe 
soon as social services, you know, get social workers see if there was anything around specifically for adoptive parents. But that fed again into the anxiety that if you tell them that I'm not coping, yeah. enough, they're going to be coming back out again. So I was like, I, I don't want that to be an option. Mm. So he said, well, I'll have a look around. I think there's, you know, I think he was a new GP. So he was, you know, there's something around mental health service. So I'll have a look around and I'll give you a call later. So I went home feeling completely def- deflated yeah. that I'd for help and no one had helped me really went home and he did phone later that day and he yeah. said yep there is a mental health service called steps to well-being it's a self-referral service though so you need to give them a call yourself and he gave me the phone number. of course i'd no. yeah and then to make another phone call i was like i can't do i can't do that mm. that's just too much and that's you know a big thing to phone someone and say that i'm not coping because yeah. i I like face to face. I don't like making phone calls because you just can't gauge people's reactions. Yeah. So face to face. So eventually, my husband was, said, "You need to make the call. Just do it." And so I did. In, in the end, it was. I think it was a good couple of days, maybe even a week. Gave them the call, and went through all the questions. Scored really highly on anxiety and depression. So they put me on the list for cognitive behaviour therapy, which I actually got fast-tracked. I got an appointment quite quickly. And went to the first few counselling sessions, and she was brilliant. And I'm still in touch with her now because she just was such a support. And she said, you know, I I think that you are suffering from not postnatal depression, but that transition to parenthood it's you know a similar concept it's a similar thing yeah it's Mm. just without the hormones so they run a group locally called out of the blues and it's a course runs over so many weeks for mums that are suffering with postnatal depression Mm. she said you know why don't you come along and and see how it goes I think that you would get a lot from it Mm. so I went along and yeah I did it that was when my recovery started really because that's when I realized how poorly I'd been and how bad I'd been feeling Mm, yeah and and I suppose you know it it is quite similar in terms of the actual what you're describing you know what you're describing sounds like a postnatal depression experience yeah you know um and I guess, you know, they say without the hormones, but as we're learning more and more about postnatal depression, we're learning that it's it's not, like we always used to used to always say, oh, it's all about your hormones, but actually yeah. we know that it's not that simple. Yeah. No. Um, so really long journey for you to actually get in really? the help that you needed. Yeah, really long. And still, even after that, still felt like a big lack of communication amongst all the professionals that were around me because the GP didn't phone me to check up that I'd self-referred myself to Steps Wellbeing. Right, okay. I don't think that he told the health visitor that I'd been in because the health visitor didn't follow me up. Make contact, no. Make contact. Um, And, yeah, I didn't really feel supported from any of the professionals no fair enough it 
felt like it was kind of swept under the carpet mm. because even then I remember we had a our final lack review before we finally got our adoption order mm. and it was it was brushed aside like how are you feeling now and I was like oh I'm feeling really good now and it's like great move on to the next one so it wasn't even really right spoken okay. out then okay even and that was even after you were starting to get CBT and and things like that yeah yeah okay, okay. so really it feels like it's been it was a huge issue for you but was really underplayed by by the professionals that were involved yeah, yeah. Mm. massively the counsellor that I saw I had a, f- a few more sessions after the out of the blues finished and she said you know I've been looking around and researching really because it really interests me mm. and she said I've I, that's where I first had post-adoption depression because she said you know mm. I think it just explains it perfectly mm. and it was nice to have a name to it to think that actually it is something that is out there and I've that's what I've suffered from and it isn't just that I just couldn't cope because yeah. that's what you consistently think is that I just haven't haven't coped really mm. with um and you think am I cut out for this can I can I even do this but mm. yeah really difficult so I mean that's one thing that health visitors can all take away um I mean there's so much from your story isn't there really for us to learn yeah um I, but in terms of that is an actual a term which is recognised as post post adoption depression. Yeah, yeah. First, uh, first mentioned in nineteen ninety five, I think, and it was June Bond, and she's an adopter herself. Okay. And she, yeah, it's just to describe the the stress and the anxiety that and depression that you experience following adoption, and most adopters will feel some level of it mm. because of that intense process yeah that emotional roller coaster you've been on yeah exactly Mm. um but there's such little research on it and not much out there really research studies that have been on post-adoption depression uh one suggests between eight percent to 32 percent suffer parents suffer and another one suggested it could be as high as 65 percent so it's just okay so we don't know at all really do we but certainly a significant proportion and obviously even one person feeling like that is is not not good enough really and we need to we need to be offering support to that one person don't we so so I mean from a professional standpoint in terms of is there anything that as a health visitor I could be doing um, you know that you think would be helpful when I'm working with parents who've recently adopted is there what what would you say are like the things that you would like health visitors to learn that's perhaps a really simplistic question <laughs> um, so I'm involved in a lot of work at the moment with just trying to move adoptive families from the universal service to the UPP service at okay. least yes so yeah, yeah some sort of acknowledgement on our system that these these families aren't universal they Mm. do require a bit of extra input Mm. just because a child is placed in a you know permanent home it doesn't mean that all of their issues are going to disappear it's sure you know they're still going to have those and actually children that are placed that appear quite fine once they're in that place of safety will then start to express all of their issues and their and their worries Mm. In those first few months, so post-adoption depression is at its highest 
just in those first three months. So in those first three months, when you know that you've got a family that are having a child placed, just yeah. to be a, a presence, it doesn't mean that you have to be visiting weekly. No. It doesn't mean that you need to be pestering, but just to be a presence, just mm. to say, I'm here if you need anything. Mm. At one visit, to do a maternal mental health assessment. Yeah. Just to check that the parents are doing okay, because... And that's for the dads as well. Yeah. Um, it's such a big change. And mm. for all of those first few visits, I don't remember being asked at all if I was okay and how was I coping. It was, God. he seems to be thriving. He seems to be settled well. He's doing this, this and this. I, it was never, how are you coping? That's really shocking to me. Yeah, it is to other health visitors that I speak to as well that say, you know, well, I, but everybody works differently. So some sure. would... Some would be more persistent and be going out more regularly. Others would be like, well, I would just phone and say I'm there. When I first started looking at this, I actually set up a survey and mm-hmm. got lots of results from adopters because I initially thought maybe I just had a really bad experience and maybe because I was so low and so depressed, I just got a warped vision, you know, vision of the health visiting service. So you're even almost blaming yourself there for that experience that you've had. (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't feel very fair, really, really. Um, (laughs) So I set up a survey to ask other adopters how they had felt the health visitor had supported and actually it was very similar to mine and a lot of them have said, you know, I had a child placed at 18 months. I had a phone call to say, this, this, we're the health visitors, we can offer you this service. If you need us, come into clinic. And then nothing until the 27-month check, because that's when you're God. due to go out. Because, it, it, you know, you're a universal service. So that is what you would get. So lots of people had varying experiences with health visiting service because on the flip side some had really lovely feedback and said my health visitor was a constant presence was came out often was always there at the end of the phone and was a complete advocate for me and my child Mm. so it's not the individuals it's the service yes okay it's a structural issue yeah and it Mm. just awareness for everybody everybody needs to have awareness because Another health visitor I was speaking to, a local one, said that how she visits quite regularly and she's not persistent, but she's, you know, she goes, even if they say they're fine, I will still go out and mm. just pop in and say hello, even if I just pop out for a cup of tea. Mm. Because she had a bad experience where she actually had a, an adoption breakdown um, mm. on her caseload. And she said she blames her, herself that she maybe didn't visit enough and didn't put in that support which of course she shouldn't be because lots of things could have caused that breakdown it's not because she didn't visit but because she had that bad experience she now visits differently and it shouldn't be like that it should just be this is the service that adoptive families should receive yeah yeah and that should be a standardized thing and we should all understand why we're delivering that in the way we're delivering it and and we should all be sticking to that kind of um, yeah it should be a well-designed model that's well thought through and based on the evidence and then we should all be using that model exactly um rather than being piecemeal approach and like you say based on health visitors individual experience um yeah so i guess that's what you're kind of hoping um from your because i know that you're involved with some changes in within your your area so sat on a few panels and groups and things in the local trust that mm. I think change will be coming soon locally. Uh, Yeah, I've started a blog to try and get a bit more 
awareness out there, particularly on post-adoption depression. Yeah. So, yeah, started a blog to get out there. Yeah. Uh, contact with other people that so I'm in contact with Mark Williams because yes think, fabulous yeah yeah he's he's all for the you know it's not hormones it's, it's yes yeah yeah transition to parenthood anyone anyone can suffer so I'm just trying to I'm trying to get awareness out there really so I still have a lot of residual shame and embarrassment and I talk about it quite regularly and I, I'm quite open and I'm a bit of an oversharer and I wrote a blog on it last week, actually, because um, I've called this residual shame and embarrassment Bob to try and name it, tame it. Name, yeah. it to tame it. So, name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. Yeah, I just feel not so much the more I talk about it and the more I'm doing this kind of raising awareness, the mm. less I feel it. But Good. I just feel so ashamed that I failed at the start and I failed myself and I failed my son and I failed my family and I failed social services oh, and no. that makes me feel yeah that makes me feel shame and embarrassment and I will all you know I carry that around with me and the only way I'm going to get rid of that is to really push for for change and to push for awareness and I don't want anyone to feel like I feel I don't want anyone to have to experience it because it is preventable mm. so that's where I'm at now. I look. I I'm so sorry that you feel that way because yeah. you've you've done an absolutely. I mean, seriously, incredible job here. Seriously, incredible job. Um, you know, and yeah. not only raising a happy, healthy little boy after yeah. all of that emotional journey. Um, but also seeking help and and getting help for yourself when actually it was really hard to access. Yeah. And now yeah. actually then going on and trying to change things for other parents as well. Yeah. So, I mean, seriously, it, yeah. it's incredible I, what I, you've done. Yeah, the more, I, the more I do and the more I talk about it, the more I'm, you know, the, the better I feel. Yeah. It took so long to get here, though, because I just kept... I, I put it in a box and mm. put it away that that was something dark and that happened to me and let's move on and let's get on with life and we've had an amazing amazing four years and or five years and yeah my son is is amazing and yeah I just Aww. I've got to the point now where yeah I think because moving into the help visitors and and having that kind of dawning realization that it's it is because there's just no awareness out there and there's no training that professionals no understand because as adopters you can access a wealth of training on yes. um you know therapeutic parenting and and you know the whole whole thing you know yeah. issues around adoption but as professionals it's really hard for you to access anything so yeah that's so yeah. true that's so why. which is why it is so vital that we we learn so much and we get so much from hearing you and you know thank you so much for sharing your I can't tell you enough <laughs> how amazing it is for me that you are willing to share these things which are obviously really really difficult to talk about and not easy experiences that you've had yeah um, in order to help other people 
um, try and access that service and get get the, the support that they need. Yeah, it is difficult, but yeah, like I said, the more the more I talk about it, the more the more I'm you know coping with it, and yeah. I'm big on big on self care. Self care <laughs> was a massive part of my recovery. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I'll I'll be off to do something for myself later that will cancel out having having to do. I was this. yeah, I was absolutely <laughs> gonna say that. <laughs> I hope you've got a very nice evening lined up. Um, And, you know, on behalf of everyone listening, because I know every health visitor listening to this is thinking, you know, thank you so much um, for coming on the podcast and for sharing your experience with us and for allowing us all to learn um, and improve our practice, which I'm 100% confident isn't good enough. Um, And, you know, we, we need to be looking, like you say, on a structural level, at how this can be changed and I really hope that because you are now such a voice in this area um that we can start to see some change I hope so yeah definitely that's the aim <laughs> well look so, thank yeah. you so much um for joining us um and we'll speak to you very soon thank you so I hope you all enjoyed listening to me chat with Brie about her experience um, and found it really useful. Of course we're going to link to all of the resources um, that we talked about so um, Brie's got a fantastic blog um, which is brilliant to have a read. I'll link to that from the show notes um, and also the Journal of Health Visiting article that she mentioned as well that's got a little bit more kind of data and and details on post-adoption depression Um, and there are lots of resources out there as well and I'll link to a few kind of um, national resources about post-adoption depression online from the show notes so if anybody wants to go away and look it up further then that's there for you to do that. Um, I know that Bree's been quite present in terms of raising the profile of the adoptive family within the health visiting community um, and I very much hope that we're going to hear lots more from her um, in the months to come and lots more about this topic generally so keep your ears peeled for that um, and we would certainly like to revisit it um, as and when that would be useful to do so. I'm sure there's loads of people listening that have tons of comments and voices to add into this mix um, and from their own experience as well as just listening and, and learning from today's podcast episode so if there's anything you would like to um, chip in and, and join in the conversation we'd absolutely love to hear from you you can find us on facebook at i am a health visitor or on twitter at i am a hv um, or if you wanted to be old-fashioned you can email us at at our email address iamahealthvisitor at gmail.com as ever we'd absolutely love to hear from you and um, thanks so much for listening in this week and we hope to see you again very soon bye